Hello and welcome to the Magic Musicals and Theatre Podcast. I'm Alice Arnold and this week my special guests are Dan Gillespie-Sells, the lead singer of The Feeling, and the comedy and drama writer Tom McRae. Welcome to the Magic Musicals and Theatre Podcast. With me in the studio today, we have Tom McRae, who is a writer, and Dan Gillespie-Sells from The Feeling, who is now also a writer, um, <laughs> getting awards for writing. But before we start, as we always start our Magic Musicals and Theatre Podcasts, mm-hmm. it's, we start with cake. Oh, oh fantastic. Yeah. We start with cake from, from um, these... Uh, Gemma's Cupcakes. I don't know. The shop's just around the corner, which is handy. And there's a different ones. This You get to have two, and Sarah and I, my producer, we, we eat the ones you don't want. <laughs> oh, wow. So there are six. Oh, there's wow. three of each. They're mini. How gorgeous. They are mini. I was going to say, I wasn't going to... So, six look, is quite but a But look at the artistry in that. That well, is... Well, that's, there's a jammy like dodger. Again. It is. Only I'm not revealing the winner. That the um, jam, there's jammy dodger yeah. ones and cookie dough ones. Oh, jammy dodgers. So Makes me think of my nan, jammy dodgers. Well, then you should have one of those, I think. I think I might have to go for a jammy dodger. Yeah. Go, I think the jammy dodgers just looked so incredible. Mm, look at that. Don't you think? Thank you very much. Well, you can have one of each because there are six. So well, we've, we've got the press night toxicity to fit uh, in. So sorry, <laughs> Who's going to make me look? Who's going to make me look greedy no, if I have two? you must have another. You must have another. No, no, I don't want to take more. Because we, you know, and I, and Sarah and I will just pick up the crumbs from the rest of the. I've been in three weeks, so I guess I should be thinking about all sorts of tuxes. Ah, <laughs> are you? But I'm going to have my. Uh, are you hiring the suit? No, it's all very informal. I've got a fine selection of suits to oh, draw okay. on. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Get him. Good, yeah, get you. That'll be my press night suit again, I think. Well, right, same thing, press night and marriage. We're, we're not here actually to talk about cakes or suits particularly. We are here to talk about, well, what everybody's talking about, because the title of the show we're talking about, everybody's talking about Jamie. When we started writing it, we just had the working title of Jamie. And, and I always said, oh, I think the title ended up being the title of one of the songs. And so everybody's talking about Jamie's the song that opens, Act Two, and it just seemed like such a great title because it's kind of like a headline that's written already. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, it's the headline. Everybody's talking about, talking about Jamie has cropped up quite a few times, as, as we hoped it would. And it, Well, it's very catchy. I don't think anyone will forget that. And it is a true story, this new show, which is a, a story about... Will you tell me the story, the true story? The story is of a, a 16-year-old boy um, at his school um, has the dream of of growing up and becoming a, a, a drag queen, a professional drag queen. Um, doesn't really know how to start going about it, but um, also wants to announce his dream and announce his thing by turning up at the uh, the school disco or the school prom, as they call them nowadays, um, in, in in a dress. And and it's a true story. It's inspired by a documentary that we saw um, that many years ago. Jonathan Butterwell, our director, saw a documentary. About five years ago now, was it? I think it was because Jamie. Two thousand and eleven. Jamie I Campbell. Think. So, so six in our, years, yeah. In our show, it's Jamie New and Margaret New as his mum because it, we distance ourselves to an extent from the reality of of their story. So we're not just telling their story; it is our story inspired by their story. Mm-hmm. But Jamie Campbell was sixteen when the documentary was made, and he's now twenty two. So it must have come out when he was about seventeen. So yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So that was a few years ago now. And then what happened was. Jonathan Buttle saw the documentary and thought this is a great idea for a show and I think it could be a really wonderful musical and was in discussions with Daniel Evans at the Crucible Theatre and Daniel loved the idea as well and then he had to set about finding the writers and that's the next stage of the story is when uh, me and Tom um, were put in touch with Jonathan. Um, but quite by chance, Dan and I had met quite a few years before uh, actually on a rally uh, and we kind of hit it off and I was a huge fan of Dan's music 
Um, and I had a sitcom on TV at the time that Dan likes, so we kind of had a professional uh, love-in as well. And Dan kept saying, we should write a musical, we should write a musical. And so we started about writing some songs, but we didn't have a clue what we were doing. And then we bumped into Michael Ball at the theatre. Literally, we didn't know him. We just, there he was, and he was Michael Baller. And so we said hello, and we kind of introduced ourselves. And Michael, God bless him, took an interest in us. He took us under his wing, gave us some advice, and ultimately put us in touch with Jonathan Buttrell. And we had absolutely no idea that Johnny Buttrell was looking for writers, was struggling to find writers. And then he heard about these two guys who just started writing musicals and thought we could be the ones. And it all fell into place beautifully and entirely beyond our control. It, that's so lovely. We, do you know, quite often on these podcasts, we hear stories about people who have been helped by big names who mm-hmm. have sort of got them t- got them together or got them started or found the music or whatever. And I love that. I love when someone who's so established in their world helps other people and just, just puts you guys together to yeah. form something brilliant. I think it's, it's it, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense to me as well because I think if you're, if you're, if you're, a big enough star to kind of be able to see the kind of ecosystem of theatre in the world that you work and you've worked with all the writers and you know all the writers and the kind of stuff out there. You know, you're in that position to be able to go, actually, I think these people might be quite good at it. You know, it was something that he was, he was like, no, I can see that. I can see you guys working well in this world. And and he was very supportive. So Michael was, was brilliant when we first, you know, gave us a bit of advice, just said, start writing, start coming up with stuff. You need a bit of guidance. And that's where Jonathan Butterall came in because mm-hmm. Jonathan's got a lot of experience, particularly working in America, New York, um, on musicals. And he's a Sheffield boy, which is why we set the show in Sheffield and opened in Sheffield. So we located it kind of in his sort of childhood haunts, really, uh, which is an area of Sheffield called Parson Cross, where the show is still set as we move into London. And then we just wanted to meet Jonathan to get some advice from a director. We had no idea that he had a secret plan to bring us onto this project. (laughs) And then pretty much a year after meeting him, we were doing our first workshop and three years on, having had a hugely successful run to our surprise and delight in Sheffield where we literally sold out the entire theatre on word of mouth because we are an unknown show, brand new writers, no famous songs, no names in the cast and not really much of a publicity budget. And we didn't sell a lot of tickets until we opened and people saw it at the first dress rehearsal, the public dress rehearsal. And on word of mouth, we started the whole theatre and it just kind of went crazy. And then Nika Burns heard the rumours in London that there was a show that was worth seeing. She went down to see the final performance and in the interval, she collared Jonathan and said, I want to take your show to London. So it has been the most fairy tale story of a show which is kind of a about a boy's fairy tale as well. So we're, I think someone could make a musical about our lives in a few years. Time. <laughs> yes. Two people who write a musical and before they know it, they're <laughs> yeah. on the West End. It becomes quite meta, doesn't it? That whole kind of, let's put on a show right here, really has happened yeah. to us. <laughs> it's, uh, in the show, it talks about, I think Jamie's mother is very central to the... She absolutely. Is, she's as much... That, right, she's as much part of it as he yes, is, absolutely. really. I think you find in the documentary, it was the thing that drew us to, to the story as much as anything else. Once we'd seen it, we could see this central relationship was between, you know, a mum and his and her son and this essentially very modern family, this kind yeah. of single-parent family and this kid that doesn't quite fit in and, and how she supports him and how she... Um, kind of adapts to the situation and thinks, well, I want to support my boy in whatever he wants to do. And just the love between them, which is just that thing, that parental love, which yeah. which is, is kind of very touching to watch. And I think with that at the core of our story, we knew our story was always going to be quite universal. And cross-generational, which is really important to me. I, I think, I mean, if you look at the poster and see the, the, the school uniform and the, the, you know, the idea of a 16-year-old, you might think it's a kind of like fame or something, it's just the kids. But it has incredibly strong parts for 
women who often are ignored in the theatre once they get to that age. It has very strong parts for men who are older and it has a bunch of kids in it as well. And we wrote it absolutely to be for the mums in the audience and for the kids in the audience and the grandparents and everybody in between. And we did have many repeat, um, not repeat offenders, what are they, repeat attendees. <laughs> repeat <laughs> attendees. Well, our, maybe repeat offenders. Well, yes. <laughs> in, in, our, in our 19 shows, we did have one woman who saw it 10 times. And we had um, grandparents would come and see it and then come back and bring their grandchildren. And that happened a lot. So we really kind of, something that I wanted to do, I mean, I, I'm thrilled for the success, but I never thought it would have this success. But what I absolutely wanted to do that it did do was to appeal to, well, it's a musical my nan would love to watch. And it had to do that for me as well as be kind of mm -hmm. edgy and cool and poppy and have all the contemporary stuff. And it's got a pretty strong message, one would, one would think, with the subject matter of a message of acceptance, um, the message of love. I mean, yeah. Do you yeah. see it as a sort of campaigning show or does do you think the message just comes within the joy the of, of the there. musical? The message is there for free. We just wanted to tell a, a lovely story and it's it's actually, it's about identity and there's um, there's something that struck me with the show is that it's, this is a show about a boy who wants to wear a dress. Everyone has a dress they want to wear, whether it's an actual dress like Jamie or like his best friend in the show Pretty who wants to be a doctor or like me and Dan wanting to write songs and scripts and be in the theatre Everyone has something they love that they're a little bit scared to own and admit to, and very few people ultimately put their dress on, but Jamie's someone who did, and that should speak to absolutely everyone. But it is about identity, and actually, act two is surprising. It's not what you think it's going to be. Jamie kind of goes off the rails a bit, and it's much about him finding himself again and working out what he really is as much as it is about what shoes, what dress, what hair. And that's what's universal about being 16, you yeah. know, mm. at, at that point in your life when, when you know, you're kind of right on the verge, right on the edge of possibility. You know, there's so many different places you can go, so many different things that you can, choices you can make. And, and what kind of grown-up are you going to be, you know? And that's why identity is quite important at that age because you're trying to figure out how you fit in, how you're going to fit in, you know, what kind of grown-up are you going to be? And I think it's tough for everyone at that age. Mm. Um, it really is. And we, we knew that the, the, the story would have a message just by telling the story. You know, it's not something we didn't feel we've had, had to bang a drum particularly. You know, the story, it's there. It's but it is incredibly in the, in the topical right now. Yeah. I mean, there are so many yes. stories about gender, gender fluidity, um, you know, Well, we'd like to say that we being... predicted that, but we, 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 we didn't. Okay, you were, you were, ahead, <laughs> through, again, you were ahead of the curve. It was we just luck. Yeah. I mean, really, it was luck because, I mean, we saw the story, we loved the story, we started telling the story, and you know what musicals are like? They take years and years to do. Mm. So if we thought that, that you know, it was going to be part of the zeitgeist, you know, in the four years it took to actually get it to the stage, you know, um, that would have been a mad thing. The truth is, I think we just picked up on um, what young people were thinking and what young people uh, who are either LGBT or just young people generally, what they're dealing with is identity more than ever, especially kind of in a kind of selfie culture, in a culture where, where everyone is... Um, branding themselves, you know, young people are, you know, so image conscious and they're so into kind of turning themselves into a brand and having that thing with it, they're, they're kind of centre of their universe, um, which is kind of right at that age. But what comes with that is all this stuff about identity, all this stuff about, you know, how am I going to come across? What's my image? What's my look? What's my, how, how do I express myself through my clothes? How do I express myself through my look and all that kind of stuff? And I think it's really, really topical for kids now, more so than ever. Mm. And also, and, I would hope that the message, that sort of dare to be different, because I think with so many young people, well, obviously the easy thing is to, yeah. to go with the flow to be like everybody yeah. else. It's a and pressure And the minute that you yeah. want to be different from everybody else in whatever way that is, But even if you want to be different, there's this whole thing about you've got to be different, you've got to get it right. You know what I mean? You've <laughs> got to get it right. You can't afford to be not cool for a minute. So you know. I'll, I'll be different if you will. 
Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Are you different? Are you different but cool? Different, or are you different but you know? It can, you can still yeah. get it wrong when you're kidding. It's awful. And I think, you know, what was lovely about telling the story is Jamie is so kind of sure of what he wants, and he was in the documentary. This all comes from what we got from the documentary. Yeah. But he was so sure of himself, and he was so knew he was different, but he was okay with it, and it kind of represented our new generation of kids who are just really kind of. Um, aware that they're different, but owning it and going, no, where I'm okay with that. And also for Margaret, the mum, Margaret Campbell, who's Jeremy Campbell's real mum, who a woman who we admire hugely and now know really rather quite well, and Margaret knew our fictional version. She, Margaret Campbell is a woman who, if her son wasn't this extraordinary thing who wanted to be a drag queen, living in um, County Durham where she does, she probably would never have met anyone like him. But there's never a question in any fibre of her being that she's not going to support him, Absolutely. And Margaret Campbell has this lovely thing she said to us about, um, she said, I don't care if you're wearing a plant pot, if you're walking around wearing a plant pot on your head. She said, I mean, I might look at you because you're wearing a plant pot on your head. I might say to you, why are you wearing a plant pot on your head? But I'm not going to judge you or care about it. And that was a really healthy way of looking at it. It's all right to look at different things and go, I do find this a bit, maybe a bit challenging, a bit scary and a bit odd, but then be able to say, well, so tell me about it, you know, engage with it. And that's what she did as a parent. And it's so inspirational for all parents with you got a kid who wants to be as radically different as Jamie or just a kid who is just going to be as different as teenagers are that she's someone who her love and support is so it's this solid seam that runs through everything in the show and builds to the big song of the show in Act a lot 2 of, which yeah. is hers and when young people came to see it in Sheffield they also like okay I've got to bring my mum to this yeah. well, <laughs> so we had, many people well, someone tweeted someone in Sheffield works at Boots tweeted oh my god the kick ass mum from Jamie's just come in and bought mascara <laughs> and, and so uh, Josie Walker who plays Margaret was a kind of hero for all these kids yeah. in Sheffield who were saying oh you're the mum that I want and then mums <laughs> would say to us oh Jamie's the son that I want but, but that's, the, that's the crucial message as much as the message for, for kids who, who want to be different mm-hmm. is a message to parents if your child is different love them and support them just yeah. love them yeah, that's them. all it's about really is just loving them yeah and you it? can just you, when you see it you know when you see it in front of your eyes and when it's kind of put in front of you in a, in a, in a show which is full of fun and drama and tears and laughter and all that kind of stuff you see it you kind of leave the theatre feeling kind of like inspired and and you leave the theatre feeling like you know what the world is actually quite a brilliant place because just because we've told this one person's story Mm -hmm. you leave making with that sense that the world is actually not that terrible a place and actually people get through it you know jamie's the musical is in a quite small club of mainstream western shows which don't have a love story at the heart of it because actually the love story is jamie and his mum it is a mother and son love story and that's what we wanted to write and celebrate Mm. that's lovely now, the show has already won numerous awards from its run in Sheffield. Dan Gillespie Sells, from the feeling, <laughs> you have won the stage debut award for Best Composer. I know, it's for nice. For your to... first musical. Well, and it's also nice... the first person to ever win that award as well, aren't you? Um, am I? I don't know. Yeah, it's the first I find it hilarious, and but always really touching, because part of me thinks, well, you know, I've been writing songs for... 20 years has been my job for such a long time so to get this kind of debut award I felt like a bit of a charlatan I thought oh no I mean I've had loads of practice <laughs> but but the, the thing that was lovely about it though more more than anything was to feel that I'd been accepted into a new community I didn't want to swan into the theatre world as being someone who's written pop music and I didn't want to swan in as if it was going to be something that I could just pick up and do easily without any effort I knew it was going to be a serious challenge you know, a bigger challenge than I've ever taken on before. And I did knew... it feel very different writing for a musical than writing for a band? Yes, because the, the detail, the level of detail, 
what I wanted to do was I didn't want to suddenly pull my music out of shape and stop it being catchy. I didn't want to suddenly it become like a different kind of music just because it's in the theatre. I, I know that what I do well is write pop songs. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to do what I do well. But I also knew that those songs had to work for the piece in a much more detailed way and in a, in a, in a, 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 a more precise way than when you're just doing an album and you can, you know, you can experiment with lots of different, you know, things and you can you can be a little bit vague lyrically and all that kind of stuff. You know, with this thing, working with Tom, we managed to create songs that were exactly on point for the show but didn't lose their integrity as pop songs. Because, mm. uh, Tom, you hadn't written lyrics before or no, had you? No, no. no So you were dealing with writing lyrics that yeah. hopefully move the story along or, or yeah, encompass the story. Was do. that was yeah. that difficult? It, well, I think difficult is things you struggle at that aren't fun. This was a lot of struggle, but it was so much fun that I would never describe it as difficult. I mean, it was a lot of hard work. We cut probably as many songs as we wrote. Mm -hmm. um, a couple because they weren't great, but most of them actually were great, but we just went, they're not right. So there was a lot of kind of falling in love with something and then having to kind of let it go. And it's a ruthless form because you have sometimes so few syllables to sell a massive idea and try and hit a rhyme and make it singable and scan and have the emphasis on the I didn't right make I didn't make life particularly easily for Tom as a lyricist. Dan's a but, rhythm Nazi. I'm but, a rhyme Nazi. <laughs> okay. I am so determined that my rhythmical patterns of my vocals would stay intact. Yeah. I didn't what I didn't want was I feel like sometimes a lyric can pull a, a melody out of shape a little bit in order to for the, to make the lyric work. Mm. And if the lyric wins, then I think it might as well have just been said. You've got to make the melody win. And actually, out of that battle, what happens is when you get a lyric that really matches the melody in such a beautiful way, it helps the lyric. It makes it a better lyric. It, it, it's that beautiful marriage of words and music. And, and I it think, might be a line which, without the music, maybe doesn't sound any better, maybe it even sounds worse. <laughs> but you put the music on and it transforms. That. A lyric isn't a line from a poem. It's not a line from a, a story. A lyric is only a lyric when it has the music on it. Yeah. And it was the hugest learning curve for me to see and to watch the, sort of the moment where I might provide something to Dan and then he'd sit and sing it and it would just lift off or watching something just collapse. And it, sometimes it's quite hard to pin <laughs> down why. But we were so strict and ruthless about if it doesn't work, it goes. But you do hear songs, don't you, where the lyrics crammed in and then the emphasis is on the wrong syllable, as I say. And they go, oh, no, that's not the wrong syllable. Or they just kind of like come in at a weird place in the sentence. Mm -hmm. Your sentences mm. go up and down naturally. Or, and if you can get your melodies to match that, that's a beautiful thing. And also, you know, a lyric... Um, a lyric can often be too long, and, and I think that what happens is sometimes you get this kind of slightly long phrase, and then the melody has to be extended to match it, and then it's not mm. tight anymore. You put some extra notes in. You put yep. some extra notes in, you kind of extend the melody a little bit, and you extend your hook. You've got the hook here, but then you make it a little bit longer so that it says all the stuff you want it to say. But the fact is, if you can say it in less words, it's always going to be a better sentence anyway. It's better dialogue if you can say it in less yeah. words. Every once you distill things down, and if you can say the same thing in less time, you're a winner. Like that's that's what rhythm in theatre is all about. I've learned is 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 being able to pace it out properly. You know, mm. to be able to say, can we just say that in a slightly more tight way? Can we just imply that? Do we have to say everything? Can we can we show that instead of tell it? And and all those kind of tricks of theatre, which I'm learning. I mean, but the learning curve for me yes. has for been enormous. For both of us, it's well, been well, three years we've been doing it. It's like doing a degree course with some of the most talented, experienced <laughs> yeah. people that you could ever hope to work with. And it, it's been 
I mean, sometimes infuriating because you want something to work and it won't and you end up having to trash it and come at it from a completely different angle. But so many times it, it, it just falls into place and you just think, wow, that's amazing. And because my background's film and TV, where you write a screenplay and then if it gets made, it's going to be a long time down the line and you have multiple departments and you, you shoot and you edit and there's post and there's prep and all these great things. But if you write a song, we could go into down the studio with nothing finish with a song that's complete. I mean, okay, it's just a vocal on piano, a vocal on guitar. It's going to be added to, but it's it, it's in many ways it's done and you go from nothing to this thing. I can come out and walk home and sing it. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've found, sometimes I've found myself singing one of our songs in the shower and I realised the other day how many of the words I don't know anymore <laughs> and I've forgotten them. But it's, it's such a wonderful um, discipline and I'm so glad I finally got to do it because I've always wanted to and now I, I, I have. It's just been wonderful. I don't think we've ever had such a great analytical discussion on the writing of songs for musicals on our podcast. This is absolutely brilliant. No, but the trouble is we're completely full of it, right? Yeah. Because we're completely full of it because we're like in that that kind of honeymoon phase of musical theatre writers where we're like where we're like, oh, we've learned this trick and we've learned that trick. And I'm sure there's lots of people listening to this going, yeah, yeah, we've heard it all before. Yeah, we know it. It's your third show. So no, you so right. I haven't heard yeah. it on my podcast before. But the thing oh, is, good, tell you that. Good, good. Well, I love I love it because I mean I'm kind of interested in anything. You know, we're 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 kind of the kind people that are interested in what goes on everywhere but when it comes to theatre uh, that that ability to be at this point in your life 20 years into my career as a songwriter and still have so much more to learn still have so much more to take on you know I'm kind of thrilled by it the other thing we have learned though you know as well that you can make as many rules as you like you can say oh this works because of that and that works because of that but at the end of the day, you end up having to break your rules mm-hmm. and then you end up also having to just trust instinct. And you, have to, you end up just having to go, I know that goes against everything I've just been saying for the last year, but I'm going to do it anyway mm. because it feels right. You have done a couple of times. Some of those beautiful moments in the show are where we have broken our rules. Yeah. But it's good, it's good structure to work to and I think the mm. kind of discipline. Because in the time that we've been doing the show for the last three years, Dan's done two albums. I actually moved to Los Angeles in February and just produced 12 hours of TV on American uh, television, and we've done so much stuff in between because we're so disciplined that when we sit down to write, we would get so much done, and then we go, right, we've now got two months, we've got to go off and do other things, and then mm-hmm. we get back together, and we never procrastinated, we were never dilettante about it, and having this kind of structure and this strictness, I think, is what's enabled us to get it all done, and we're always just a little bit ahead of schedule as well, and we still, we still kept that, we're slightly ahead of where we thought we'd be at this point in rehearsals, and nothing's crashed yet. I mean, I keep waiting for something to go horribly wrong. And Listen, years they're in tech rehearsals as true. we speak. Who knows so, what's happened today so, while we're here. So don't... <laughs> they're don't in tech, they're in tech rehearsals for this show, which is previewing on the 6th yes. of November Sixth and then November, it opens yes. press night 22nd of November. Yes, so yes. it's tickets available from the 6th of November. Okay. Now, and they're, I, they are half price until, until the 23rd you open of properly. November. Yes. 23rd. Mm. Uh, I can't wait to see this. I really can't. <laughs> this is at the Apollo, South Shaftesbury Avenue. That's right, it? yes. Yes, Nika Burns Theatre. Yes, yes. Nika Burns Theatre. <laughs> right. Not, Nika not Burns the one Theater. where Wicked is, the other Apollo. Yeah, the, <laughs> the ah. other one. I have to ask, Jamie Campbell, who it was originally written about, has he been to see it? Oh, God, so many times. Oh, has he? <laughs> he was with us has he? He's not creeping out of the limelight well, here. Margaret, um, she was te- Josie Walk, who plays Margaret. And, and of course, Margaret and you and Margaret Campbell are, of course, now friends. And Margaret Campbell texted Josie and said, oh, we've got to read, we've got to run through next week, haven't we? And we love that Margaret and Jamie, they say, we've got to run through, which is absolutely right, because they are part of our gang. And they've been at the read-through and the run-through and at the press night, they came up and took a bow when we opened in Sheffield. I imagine we'll be doing something fabulous with them. when They'll we be there on press well. night, yeah, absolutely. They are yeah. absolutely part of it. They love the show and and we love them. Yeah, we, we, we kept them away from the process. So we brought them in 
only when it was time to open the show in Sheffield. We could have our fictional versions, our Jamie and you and our Margaret and you live in our hearts and minds before we met Margaret Campbell and Jamie Campbell and then they'd become very real and, you know, we might think, oh, I, I don't want to write that because maybe it'll upset them. But we, and there's some really heart-hitting stuff in it as well. And there's a song that we wrote, it was one of the last ones we wrote for the show, which is Margaret looking back on her, her kind of broken heart, so the, the failed ro romance over her life. She's not a self-pitying character at all, but this is a moment of introspection. And I hadn't met Margaret Campbell when I wrote the lyric. It was something that I came up with going on a run round Chiswick, which is where I normally write lyrics, running up and down the Thames. And, um, I'll see you there with my dog. Oh, oh I, pro I probably have. You I was the one have. running along singing show tunes. <laughs> and, um, and it's this, it's Margaret looking back on her life. And I just made it up. You think, if this person was real, I think she would say this. And then Margaret, um, when we met her, said, it's like you've written my life. It's so close to what happened. And when we did the run-through a couple of weeks ago, if I know so it was the first read-through, Margaret was there. And when Josie got up to sing this song, Margaret just looked away and couldn't make eye contact with her. And I realised it was just so powerful for her and so painful in a way. And then as it got to the final bit of the song where it just slows down, these just these little lyrics kind of dipped in. And Margaret just started um, singing along to them just silently. And I watched and I thought, oh, God, you've been listening to our song that's your song that's that we wrote. And it's now part of your real life as well. So they've, they've been woven into the fabric of the show. Well... It sounds to me, it's on the website it says fairy tales really do come true and as you've explained, this this is a fairy tale yes. coming true. Let's hope it's a fairy tale night on the 22nd thank you. on press night. Uh, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. And, and talking to us and analysing songwriting in the most amazing <laughs> way and lots and lots of luck with the run. I can't wait to see it. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Take care. was the musicals and theatre podcast and if you enjoyed that then why not subscribe it's absolutely free to our channel on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts you can also hear me every weekend morning from six till ten on mellow magic 